on May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. Visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. And welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Sunday night, August 30th, the year of our Lord, 2020. When I say jam-packed, I mean we are indeed wall-to-wall jam-packed on the show tonight. We've got a lot coming this week. It is a big, big week for 24-7 Sports. It is a huge week for us here at Late Kick. More on that in just a second. Subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel if you haven't already because of what I'm about to tell you. This is the week because you delivered with those five-star reviews to the Late Kick podcast that we are extending this show to three nights a week live. So, You would have normally had to have waited until Thursday after we go off the air tonight. No longer. We will be here Tuesday night. So Sunday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night. That's going to be the way it is every week until at least the end of the college football season. So you'll want to see that and you'll want to subscribe because of that. But even then, we are not going to be able to fit everything that we have planned for you into those shows. We have got a lot of what we call grand season previews coming up. Those are about... 10 to 15 minute long form ultra jam packed season previews for every major team. And we got that coming very, very soon. I won't even have time to put them in our shows. So you'll see them exclusively on the 24 7 Sports YouTube channel. And also, this is the week where we begin two episodes, not just one, of the Late Kick Extra podcast. So get your questions in for that in the comment right below the video here. Or you can email me, as you see on the bottom of the screen, or you can hit me on Twitter. So we have got, as I said, a jam-packed week, and we've got a jam-packed show tonight. Jamar Chase has opted out at LSU. We're about to get to that to kick off the show in just a second. As we are doing and will continue to do, whispers and intel from fall camps and practices all over the country, at least if you are still playing college football. So we're going to pretty much every conference tonight, and we'll give you some behind the scenes and maybe some stuff that you are aware of, some stuff you're curious about. I'm going to talk about the biggest mystery team, for my money, in the Power Five as we enter the 2020 season, and then the latest on what has become an all-too-familiar topic on this show, and that is just Big Ten, all-inclusive Big Ten. I was talking to someone, by the way, how crazy is it that we have gotten a lot of support from Big Ten fans and viewers, and we appreciate it, but it's some alternate universe where actually being critical of the conference, and I think rightfully critical, by the way, we don't just throw that stuff around on this show, being critical of the conference has actually garnered us some positive gratification from Big Ten fans. 2020. So let's get it started. 2020 was um, it was on full display today in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. If you missed the news, Jamar Chase would have been a star receiver this year, was a star receiver last year for LSU. He is considered a consensus first-round pick, even if he were to have come back. Well, he's opting out now because of that, in all likelihood. He's gone. He is opting out. Now, what I'm not going to do is waste a whole lot of time here talking about what we already know. We know he's opting out. We know the magic number now is at 32. 32 players that resided on that roster for LSU when they won the national championship, they're gone. 
quarterback's gone. Top two receivers are gone. Four offensive linemen, gone. Couple of running backs, gone. And of course, you had a bunch of coaches leave too. That's just offensively. So we already know all that. There's no reason to kind of rehash that. A lot of times what you'll notice, we call it a video game syndrome, 90s video game syndrome. If you played like old school Nintendo or Super Nintendo, a lot of times if you ended the game, when you started it the next time, you'd have to start over from scratch. And a lot of times when you debate things, you talk about things, everyone has to start over from scratch the next day. Like we haven't already discussed all this. So we'll get that out of the way. We've already discussed that. My rapid reaction to this was, if you look at it from a very, very macro point of view, it's not stunning. This guy stands to make a lot of money. There's a lot of uncertainty in the minds of a lot of people about this season. And so, you know, he could have he could have left school long before we had ever heard of what COVID was, and it would have been understandable. So I think it is the biggest opt-out. You know, Micah Parsons was big, but it's irrelevant because the Big Ten and Penn State aren't playing, at least for the time being. So this is a really, really big one. Rousseau at Miami was another big one. But it also proves a lot is moving behind the scenes. I know there's been a lot of speculation today and something that I'm not really going to wildly get into on this show tonight, only because... I think the sensationalist nature of sort of the the subplot behind this opt-out is a lot more juicy than what reality is. I think reality is just this is a guy who kept thinking about things even after he tweeted, hey, let us play this season. That's what a lot of critics have said today. Why would you be talking about let us play and then you're going to opt out? Well, things are always changing. Things are always moving. So I know there's been a lot of speculation about what caused this and who got in whose ear. Not going to do that on this show tonight. You know, maybe if something becomes public, we will. But I say all that to say this. I don't really care anymore about Jamar Chase. All respect in the world to him. This is not a slight to him in in the slightest. But I'm talking about who is left at LSU. And because that's really what matters here. What's left at LSU? This is a college football show. And what's left at LSU are questions, but also opportunity. Now, I can tell you right now, knowing the makeup of that program, maybe some fans have their head down today, and maybe some bystanders are looking at LSU going, oh, those, man, those poor guys, what in the world are they going to do? That's not what that coaching staff's doing, and I hope that's not what that wide receiver room is doing. You know, Colin and I were talking in the break room before we did the show tonight. It's, it's, not, an, it's not an empty trough there at LSU in the wide receiver room by any stretch of the imagination. They got names. Terrace Marshall comes back. But outside of that, you know, if you're not an LSU recruiting fan, you're just a casual observer – you may not know who Eric Gilbert is yet. You will. You may not know who Keishon Boutte is yet. You will. Trey Palmer, like you may not know that name. You may not even know Racy McGrath. Uh, these are not all true freshmen. Some of them are, some of them aren't. But the point is, they all possess adequate talent to be a star in the way that LSU does things now. Here's what they don't have. They don't have an alpha number one receiver with the exit of Jamar Chase. They may have one. I don't see them with one that is definitive in the preseason. That's what I'm saying. So you should be excited because there's a whole lot of opportunity there. This is a grand opportunity if you're in that wide receiver room. Part two, make no mistake whatsoever, this is the biggest challenge of Ed Orgeron's head coaching career. You may look back and say, well, it seems like it was a pretty tall task to win a national championship, and yes, it was. But as we have spoken about a million times on this show, you win at a high level in this sport or any sport, then you get to deal with the consequences of success. In this case, your entire roster got overturned, 
And then you dealt with a pandemic, so no one's ever had that lumped on top of the usual consequences of success. You've had some off-field allegations about past players to deal with, which could, if nothing else, affect you mentally. You've had social issues to deal with. You had to retool your staff. And now a lot of us sit back and we wait for the season to start. And the reason that we wait for the season to start is not just to look around and say, oh, LSU only going to win seven games this year. They're coming back to the pack. It's not that. That's not how I judge the culture of a program. But culture is the key word here. Because this is really the remaining question in a lot of your minds. I know. I read every email you send me, and I read every comment and every tweet. And here's what a lot of you still believe, who are not LSU fans. A lot of you still believe, probably because LSU kicked your team's tail last year, that that was a a once-in-a-generation, flash-in-the-pan, flash being the key word here, sort of proposition. And it was great, and it was fun to watch, but now they're out of there. And things will return back to whatever the norm is in your mind for LSU football. So what we're going to find out is the difference between flash and culture. Because if that is true, if it is true that last year's collection came in and then they affected however they affected Baton Rouge and LSU and LSU football and that Orgeron, run, but once they leave, you're going to return to whatever normalcy was, it'll be obvious, just as obvious will be if there has been a culture change and a DNA shift down there, it'll be obvious there too. I'm not telling you they're winning a national championship this year if that's true. But see, there are varying scenarios that LSU football could go down and could put up this year rather in terms of a record. You know, they could go 8-2 and this year and be less impressive than in some ways if they go 7-3. and Just the way the schedule falls, the way the ball bounces. I think those of you who have watched this sport for any length of time probably understand what I'm saying there. But I think a lot of folks probably, in some ways, understand how rare 2019 was. Even LSU fans understand how rare that was. I don't care if you got the greatest culture on the face of the earth. You better have players. So LSU had both last year. And it's really rare for all that to come together. But here's the entire problem, or here's the entire opportunity, depending on your perspective and depending on what reality is at LSU. Several coaches have learned this lesson the hard way before. When you come into a place and you overturn a culture and you have not won a championship and you're on the road, you're on the climb, you're on that path to winning a championship, it's not easy to get a collective buy-in, but it is easier when everyone's hungry. And if you watch that program last year, here's what was rare, not just the talent. There have been talented teams before that had three losses. They had an ultra-talented team, a loaded roster And they had guys, no matter if they were going to be the top overall pick in the NFL draft or they were a walk-on, that collectively had the same mentality. It's a coach's dream. And that mentality was, what can I do for LSU? What you find out this year, when you watch them, and it'll be apparent, if you watch them close, it'll be apparent how much of that program still reflects the attitude and the mentality of, what can I do for LSU? And how much of that program reflects the mentality of, what can LSU do for me? Many a head coach, many a future and current Hall of Fame head coach has seen that creep into their locker room and seep into their culture. Even the greats have struggled from that from time to time. So outside of whatever a win-loss record is going to be for LSU this year, that's the challenge. That's the biggest challenge Ed Orgeron faces, and it seems like nothing is solid, like the footing, the foundation is not very solid right now for anyone in this sport. Imagine dealing with all the external and then what Ed Orgeron's dealing with, too. So that's a big challenge. But I don't think Ed Orgeron's wasting a whole lot of time tonight feeling sorry for himself, so we're not going to either. Now that we talked about LSU, 
let's go across the entire country and let's talk about what we're hearing out of camps. The latest whispers, the latest intel. I am so, so happy that we get to work for 24-7 Sports where if we have questions about Miami or Georgia or Oklahoma State, we can just reach out to our network of team insiders. Got one at every major program. It's beautiful. It greatly alleviates the uh, task and burden on our shoulders because we can just lean on them. So let's start, and let's talk about scrimmages. A couple of them happened this weekend. Alabama had a scrimmage this weekend. The outside linebacker situation is really, really, really by the day growing more and more intriguing for Alabama. When we were talking on National Signing Day, some of the big names, Drew Sanders, five-star linebacker, commits to Alabama. Uh, Will Anderson rocketed up into the final, uh, I think, top 10 of the 24-7 sports player rankings. He was a headliner. Signs and commits with Alabama. And so a lot of folks wondered, not if, but when. Like, how long is it going to take for them to get on the field? Well, looks like it could be sooner rather than later. Now, Ben Davis and Chris Allen, if you follow recruiting, you remember those names too. Uh, Those are former high four and five-star types as well. Those are veteran guys now for Alabama. And Nick Saban, you can tell when you listen to him. You can tell when you listen to Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator there. When they talk about those guys, they trust them. From the neck up, like physically, they possess all the intangibles and the tangibles that it takes to play at that level. They trust them mentally. They trust them to make good decisions. They are solid, good, dependable players. But then when you listen to him talk about Drew Sanders and you listen to him talk about Will Anderson, it's like they're talking about brand new sports cars. And maybe we don't have them quite tuned to the degree that we want just yet, but we cannot keep them off the field. They're too good. They are surefire three and out types, and they're going to be on the field. Now, the question for Alabama becomes, how soon? Could you see them against Missouri in week one? I'll be honest with you. I expect we will, and I'm not talking about in garbage time. I do think it'll be more of a situational thing, but listen, think about the different kind of quarterbacks Alabama plays this year. You play a guy like Plumlee at Ole Miss, Uh, Who knows who Georgia throws at you? We're going to talk about that in just a second. But you play different types of offenses in this conference, and so you need different types of personnel. So if nothing else, they have the luxury of much more depth at the linebacker spot this year, and they have versatility at the linebacker spot and some extremely talented true freshmen. They're like three or four more edge types that we didn't even mention there. But Drew Sanders and Will Anderson drawing rave reviews and that pass rush probably going to be ratcheted up a notch because of that. Let's go down to Miami. Miami is about to fix, in my estimation, what was a glaring problem on this team last year. They were horrific running the football. Miami fans know this. If you don't, by any metric, I just picked uh, rush yards per game, but you can pick any advanced rushing metric you want to. They were 120th in America at the FBS level last year running football. Horrible, inexcusable, should never happen. So I expect a massive leap, and not just because less teams are playing this year. I expect an absolutely massive quantum leap forward in production this year from Miami's run game. Uh, De'Eric King, of course, has the run threat at quarterback, and they've been really impressed with him throwing the ball, but he also possesses a true dual threat. Cameron Harris is a very solid number one running back from them, but when you listen to folks inside and close to Miami talk, they want to talk about Jalen Kingston, or Knighton rather, and they want to talk about Don Chaney Jr. And those are two young, up-and-coming running backs, extremely explosive. They bring the element that Rhett Lashley and Manny Diaz will want to that run game, and they will be, I think, at least three deep in guys that they trust to play winning football for them at the running back spot this year. And if you look at Rhett Lashley's track record, I was reading some of the work from the guys over at InsideTheU.com. 
you know, they talked about, and they kind of chronicled Rhett Lashley, who is the new offensive coordinator from Miami, and wherever he's gone, here's what production in the run game has done. Guy's got a track record. And so you couple that with absolute bona fide potential, at least, on your depth chart, I think it's pretty reasonable to expect Miami's going to be able to run the ball a whole lot better this year. And here's the added luxury of making that prediction. Couldn't get any worse. It can only get better. Let's go to Georgia. The Georgia offense, pretty much everyone's talking about this. Georgia is a national championship contender, and yet there are, either, even from insiders, much less outsiders, there are a lot of questions about this offense. Now, here's the thing first and foremost to know from their scrimmage yesterday. Jamie Newman was indeed running first string at quarterback, and we expect him, barring something drastic, to be the starting quarterback when they open the season against Arkansas. We have never wavered on that, even when the JT Daniels announcement was made. Uh, Daniels is a solid player. I just think Jamie Newman is probably their guy, and that's gone unchanged. So let's get that out of the way. Now, as for the intel from their scrimmage yesterday, Jake Rowe over on Dogs 24-7 had a really good write-up, but I took one sentence away because this is what I was looking for. Jake Rowe over on Dogs247.com. Run blocking was significantly ahead of pass protection with the first string offensive line and the second string offensive line. Is that shocking? Absolutely not. But keep in mind what the expectation in the minds of some people here is regarding Georgia. Some, not all, I'm not even going to say a majority, but there are a lot of people out there, some Georgia fans and some college football fans, who expect this offense to look radically different this year. We don't and have never believed on this show that's necessarily the case. There certainly will be things that are different, but a lot of people expect it to go from you know a game of bowling to a game of pinball, and I just don't think when the common eye turns on a Georgia game that you're going to look and immediately say, oh, there are the changes. Look at that, night and day different. James Coley, what? Where is he? That's a distant memory now. Look at all these different formations. Look at these different motions. I just look at how much more we're throwing the ball. I don't think that that is reasonable at this point to expect. Now, I think there will be changes, but they'll be far more nuanced. Uh, they'll be far more tied into maybe varying personnel packages, different route combos and concepts, things that if you know what you're looking at, you'll see. But I certainly don't believe that overnight, you know, we're going from what Georgia did to what um, Oklahoma State does on a year-in, year-out basis. Nor do they need to. That's the part B. Okay, so everyone who is longing for this total overhaul offensively in Athens, GA, this dude, if you're watching on the YouTube channel, Colin is showing you Georgia head coach Kirby Smart. It has been our thinking all along and continues to be that that guy knows he's got one of the best defenses, if not the best in the country, entering 2020 or really any season, to be honest with you. 2020 is no different. He made some changes at OC. He made some offensive adjustments. You take spring from him. His comfort zone is playing the way they played last year. That's his comfort zone. So it's going to take a lot of certainty to get him to venture out of his comfort zone. And certainty and comfortability is not what you have right now. And for a risk-averse guy like Kirby Smart, I don't exactly know that me listening to Jake Rowe say, hey, pass pros well behind run blocking right now. I uh, assume Kirby Smart saw the same thing from a much better vantage point yesterday. I don't necessarily know that they walked into the coach's office this morning and said, you know what? I'm sold. Let's hit that, let's hit that button. Let's totally overhaul this offense. I just don't think that that is um, reasonable to expect at this point. And listen, if these changes are made, if these obvious changes are made, 
they will be made progressively, incrementally. It won't certainly be something where week one in Arkansas, your jaw is on the ground watching Georgia's offense and the way that they're methodically going up and down the field. So that's what's happening at Georgia right now, and that's something really, really important to keep an eye on. This is not some team that's expected to hover at or just above 500. This is an SEC and national championship contender, and the way that offensive line shakes out and the way this offense shakes out, period, that's going to go a long way, in fact, pretty much the entire way, in deciding how legitimate they are in that aspect. Now, we've been talking about Texas some, and I've talked about defensive, especially defensive depth, on their defensive line, pretty much wherever you want to look. But man, you know, we have not talked a whole lot about their offense. And there's certainly experience and talent coming back at quarterback with Sam Ellinger. But, you know, I was listening to Tom Herman the other day, and I think they had a scrimmage this weekend too that we were getting some intel from. But I was listening to Tom Herman the other day, and you know, you got a new offensive coordinator in there in Yursage. So you have the usual questions, like, kind of like they're asking with Georgia. You know, um, are we going to throw the ball more? What's our run-pass balance going to be? I don't believe that balance is found strictly in statistics. If the defense believes you're capable of running it or throwing it on virtually any down and distance, you're balanced. That's balance. So you can define balance however you want to. You ask that question every time you have an offensive coordinator change. So, you know, you listen in the offseason, and the people I listen to said the same thing with Texas that they said about a number of programs. And that was, they have taken a nice, long, healthy look in the offseason at what LSU just did for understandable reasons. LSU just kind of rewrote the college football record book. So everyone wants to kind of siphon off what LSU did last year. But here's particularly what to look for with Texas. And now we tie it back to what's been happening in these scrimmages in Austin. They are not what LSU was at the quarterback position last year. Ellinger is a multi-year starter, and he has a specific skill set. He's not the passer that Joe Burrow was, but what he gives up there, maybe he makes up for a little bit more with his toughness, with his running ability. You can incorporate different run elements with a guy like him that maybe you couldn't with Joe Burrow. Their running backs are very good. They got three that they think they can win with right now, and we've talked about Rashawn Johnson and the other two, and we've talked about them plenty. But I was listening to Tom Herman talk the other day, and this is what kind of caught my ear when you tie it into what you know they've been focused on in the offseason. Versatility is the name of the game. That's what allowed LSU to do what they did last year. Talent and versatility and being able to pretty much throw whatever you want to from a personnel and pre-snap look at a defense and never have to substitute you got to have really versatile pieces at running back and at tight end specifically to do that. And so with that in mind, Tom Herman steps to the podium the other day and says, you know what I really like about our tight ends? They can play fullback. They can play tight end. They can play slot receiver. Combining that with what we know they have in the versatility department at running back, that would excite me if I was a Texas fan. Knowing that it doesn't look like we're giving up 40 points per game defensively this year. It looks like we're really good there. So we don't have to hang 50 to try and win a game. Even in the Big 12, we're not going to have to this year. And, you know, for that matter, I think there's a little bit of a defensive overhaul happening in Austin and Norman. Just something to tuck away for future Big 12 reference. But depth is great. Depth is a wonderful thing to have. But in today's college football, if you want to win national championships, you better have versatility along with that depth. Because if you got 17 dudes at running back who were all former five stars, but they have the exact same skill set, and it doesn't really translate to being a good receiver out of the backfield, I'm not not so sure you're going where you think you're going, regardless of how much talent you have on that roster. Give me some versatility. I think Texas has about as good a versatile group of offensive players this year as they've had in quite a while. So there is definite reason to be excited about Texas. 
The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You're ready, Bob. Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Now, as I told you to start the show, we have several different features coming up that we won't even be able to fit on this show. So you'll want to subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. It's easy. If you're watching me right now, you're already there. Just click subscribe. It's free. We never ask you to do anything that, uh, that costs any money. And so I told you that we're going to start doing grand season previews. These are really fun. Like They're really in-depth. It takes a little while to produce them, but they're really fun. We do everything in these grand season previews. We do... Um, our own strength of schedule breakdown, which is much different than most other people's strength of schedule. Uh, we do the biggest questions. We do depth chart analysis. We do a best, worst, and most likely projection for your final record. And so I've been doing some pre-work on that, and I was looking at Auburn yesterday. And it occurred to me that yet again, this looks like the most unpredictable team in the entire Power 5 level of college football this year. Auburn always presses the threshold on our best, worst, and most likely. It's easy to say, oh, your best case is 10-0, your worst case is 2-8. Well, there's not a whole lot of skill in that. So normally I don't like to have any more than maybe a four or five game threshold between the best and the worst case. Auburn always pushes that because it seems like every year they're capable of having what we call a pop season, which is where you know they, they pop up in the college football playoff conversation until very late in the year, or they could have a total disaster. And it always, it, it, inevitably, Auburn is that team where you're sitting there in late August, as we are, and you're saying, you know what Auburn could do this year? They could sneak around and they could wind up in Atlanta playing for the SEC title. But I'll tell you what else Auburn could do. Auburn could also crater horrifically into the ground and have cause to fire every single coach in that staff. 2020 is no different. I have no clue. No one, and this is the point, no one, even associated with Auburn, has any clue what to expect. Normally, the people you would lean on for what you would call inside information, they don't even know. And they don't have a whole lot of inside information because Gus Malzahn has that place locked down tighter than Gitmo right now. So let's just set the stage. Think amongst yourselves. If you're watching or listening right now, you probably have some opinion of Auburn. If you're an Auburn fan, certainly you do. What is it? You think along with me because I'm telling you right now, I have not heard many of you tell me uh, Josh, I like him to win the. I, I like him to win the West. I like him to contend for a playoff spot. Very few of you, a fringe minority, may have said that, but most of you haven't. But most of you have also not told me they're going to be terrible this year. They are going to suck water through a garden hose. No one's told me that, which is kind of a convenient way of just saying, I don't know. Kind of shrug your shoulders. I don't know. Hey, anything's possible. And yes, Kevin Garnett, anything is possible with the Auburn Tigers this year. So no one's picking them to bomb. No one's picking them to shine. So let me tell you, as I was working through our best, worst, and most likely for Auburn that will be coming up in the Auburn Grand Season Preview in the next couple of weeks, you've got sort of the angel-devil on either shoulder scenario. And let me tell you what the angel, the little orange and blue angel, is telling me. The orange and blue angel, 
who is presenting the best case for Auburn, is telling me, hey, Bo Nix is returning at quarterback, and that, that's a guy who is very underappreciated just in terms of a raw skill set. I watched him play in high school. He is extremely talented. And last year, he was pressed into duty, starting action as a true freshman, and he did exactly what a true freshman did. He had some moments where he shined, and he had some moments where he was horrible. So consistency was a problem. But the angel is telling me, well, he's returning, and this is not last year. There is no Tua. There is no Joe Burrow. There's a lot of uncertainty. Some solid pieces, but the SEC quarterback scene preseason is not one where you have multiple surefire first-round locks. Could Bo Nix be a guy that surpasses all expectation and end up being an all-SEC quarterback? That's what the orange and blue angel is saying. He's also saying, remember the offensive coordinator change. Chad Morris is coming in. And the angel is telling me, Josh, you respect Chad Morris. Yeah, I do. You respect his ability to evolve their passing game, if he's given the ability to. I do. You respect his ability to develop quarterbacks? Absolutely. Yes. Orange and blue angel, I do. Um, Hey, Gus Malzahn, still the head coach there? Seems like he's been there 47 years at this point. And he's been on the hot seat 46 times out of those 47 years. Kevin Steele is still there, too. That is probably the most underappreciated assistant coach in America adequately compensated at this point, but still underappreciated on a national level. And, and this is more schedule granular based. It's an even number year, says the orange and blue angel on the left shoulder or right shoulder. But the see, the even number years are normally death for Auburn because they have to go to Georgia and to Alabama. But in this even number year, it is a COVID year, which means those home field advantages probably pretty much evaporate. You're playing in front of 25,000 people. You can pipe in more noise than 25,000 people make. So maybe you caught, if there is a time to catch a pandemic, you caught it at the right time. Now, that's what the orange and blue angel is presenting. But then you know what we have on the other shoulder. I don't know what color you want him to be. We'll just make him red or crimson or whatever. Purple and gold for all I care. But the devil on the other shoulder is flicking away the orange and blue angel. And he's saying, how much innovation can you really have offensively if you didn't have a spring? This is not a problem unique to Auburn, but it's a problem nonetheless. Here's also what the devil says. Gus Malzahn can be committed fully to all of these changes, and he could say all the right things about handing the keys to the offense over to Chad Morris, but the devil whispers in my ear, you know as well as I do, this dude will hit the emergency brake at the first sign of trouble because you've seen him do it in the past. And then you have kind of an 80%, 20%, and then it's 60-40, and then it's 50-50. And yes, I have to admit that has happened before, so remains to be seen how he's going to handle it this year. I'm also told by the devil on the other shoulder, Bo Nix, extremely inconsistent last year. And when has Auburn and Gus Malzahn ever developed their own in-house quarterback? In their best years, they've been working with a guy they got from the transfer market. And I have to slowly nod my head, and I have to agree with that. I mean, I can tell him I think Chad Morris is the difference there. I don't know that Chad Morris is the difference there. Offensive line has been a fear amongst those people inside that program for two years now. They have known the 2020 offensive line situation could be rough. How rough? Well, there's currently one offensive lineman on their entire roster who has started a game for Auburn, and that's Nick Brahms, center, I believe. Now, they got a transfer in there, so it's not quite as dire as it sounds, but they have one offensive lineman on that entire roster who has started a game for the Auburn Tigers. Could be that the other four just wildly surpass all expectation. Could be. I mean, if they're starting at Auburn, they're good enough to start at Auburn. However, you also have a first-year offensive line coach there. So you made a position coach change. 
And so there's a lot of moving parts there, and that devil whispers in my ear, really? You think they're going to have it together right off the bat? And they're going to have to. They play Georgia in week two. They don't have an easy one in week one against Kentucky. And last but not least, Derek Brown, Marlon Davidson, just stalwarts on that defensive line. It seems like they were there for a long time, too. They're gone. And you can tell me about all the junior and senior veteran leadership that you have to plug in behind them. You don't just replace guys like that. And that defense has been the name of the game at Auburn. That's been the identity. Even when you've got an offensive-minded head coach in Gus Malzahn, defense has been the identity. That's been what they've leaned on to win. And so you kind of gutted the middle of that defense. They're really good at linebacker this year. Make no mistake. But got some holes there. And so with all that said, is anyone watching or listening to this any more convinced one way or the other as to what the Auburn Tigers will do this year? I'm not, and I'm the one who just ran my mouth for like seven minutes. So that's what makes the Auburn Tigers, to me, the biggest mystery team out of anyone even remotely close to contention in the 2020 college football season. Nobody has a good feel on them. Speaking of just being totally out of touch with any kind of feel, let's talk about the Big Ten. Could you imagine? I was watching last night. I was watching Central Arkansas. I was watching Austin P. And um, I was thinking about the game, and I was thinking about how great it was to just see college football on TV. But then I said, I wonder what Ryan Day is doing right now. I wonder what James Franklin, Jim Harbaugh, I wonder what they're doing right now. Could you imagine being Ryan Day last night? Could you imagine being James Franklin and Jim Harbaugh and turning on, what was it, ESPN? Turning on a nationally broadcast college football game, and it's Austin P. and Central Arkansas. And your conference has told you we cannot guarantee safety of players. We just don't have the infrastructure in place to put these fine young men on the field. However, they possess the ability at Austin P. and Central Arkansas. And they played in Montgomery, no less. So nice neutral site opener. I got to give credit where it's due. And a lot of you know who you are. Too many to name. There were many of you When we first started talking about this, we've been pretty outspoken on this because we feel very convicted in where we stand on this. Uh, Some of you in Big Ten country reached out behind the scenes through email and, you know, Twitter correspondence. Most of you were civil about it, but you said we were out of line and the other conferences would fall in line shortly and we were being very short-sighted and you defended the Big Ten's position. I think more and more, and this is where the credit is due, I have seen a lot of you backtrack on that stance and you have expressed so via email and via Twitter. And the reason is because the motivation here has become increasingly obvious. We never, ever, ever get political on this show, and you will pull every tooth out of my head before I go the political route on this show. So I'm not going to even do it tonight. But I can tell because you're telling me a lot of you have observed that a lot of this is far more political or at the very least legally based as opposed to maintaining the health and the safety of student athletes. And so you have Kevin Warren and you have a lot of university presidents and it's really not one face that's been tied on to this. If you've been reading and following it day by day, it's bureaucracy. A lot of you who work in the real world, you've experienced bureaucracy. You know how it works. But here's the thing about bureaucracy. It provides anonymity. So rarely do you need a plan B if you're in that bureaucracy because plan A normally works. You run things. You control things. And here's the other thing about bureaucracy. You never have to give an account of your decision-making. It's just take it and swallow it. This is what we're saying, and this is what you're going to accept. So when you do have to give an account, and when the light is shown on you, and you are, for lack of a better term, exposed, 
you're so inexperienced, you have no clue what to do. And as a result, you get the unmitigated PR disaster that you currently have unfolding in the Big Ten. And as a result, with all those degrees on the wall, and with all those six and seven figure salaries sitting in these rooms making these decisions, they have managed to hide their motives here about as well as a Ziploc bag. That is the state of affairs in the Big Ten. You and I would be fired from running a lemonade stand if we ran it half as poorly as the Big Ten is currently being run. And yet, here we sit today. It is August 30th. We still don't know anything about a vote total. We still don't know anything about data that was used. We don't know anything. We don't even know when the season's going to start. And I'll tell you this, you don't owe me anything. I'm just some dude sitting behind a microphone. But you've got a lot of players out there and parents of players who are demanding answers and you claim to be making these decisions because of them. So if anyone in their right mind is going to sit in anywhere up there, Chicago, Indianapolis, wherever you want to sit, and you're going to tell me they don't deserve answers, well, I'm going to call you a hypocrite. And I'm going to be right in that. And I think a lot of your constituency up there has shifted to really placing more of the blame at your feet as well, because I think a lot of them have had their eyes open to the fact that uh, that's kind of the way the decision-making process was happening all along. So now, what, what happens moving forward? Because anyone can see what we just talked about. What happens moving forward? You know these lawsuits? You know this lawsuit that was filed on behalf of the Nebraska parents last week? And it was only like eight of them. So I saw, I saw one of the Big Ten attorneys say, what are we going to do? We're going to overturn our entire process? Are we going to unveil all of our decision-making that uh, publicly paid officials, public university officials participated in? No, God forbid we do that. What are we going to do? Over just eight people filing a lawsuit, which of course, again, bureaucracy, never have to give an account, open the floodgates. It was pretty much a dog whistle for everyone and their mother to file a lawsuit in Big Ten country. And so guess what's happening? They are in the process of doing it right now. Now, I'm not going to speculate here as I didn't do the other night and I haven't done yet. I just presented it to you in rhetorical fashion and then we left it at that. And I'm still going to leave it at that tonight. Here's what I'm asking you. Could you make any sense out of the reason that a conference would collectively fight so hard against providing just the mere reasoning and basis behind their decision. Who voted what? What data was used? Why the abrupt decision on, what was it, August 11th? Could you figure that out? Because I can't figure that out. But just because we can't figure it out doesn't mean there isn't a good reason. Well, scratch that. Doesn't mean there isn't a reason. Whether it's good or not is up for interpretation. But as these lawsuits move forward, and I am not a legal analyst, and I'm not a lawyer, and I'm currently on track to never becoming one. But that D word, discovery, if you've just followed college football for any length of time, and you've seen the occasional high-profile lawsuits that pop up in this sport, you know what discovery has provided in the past. It's this thing that happens in the legal process, and sometimes from areas and portions of your conference where you least expect it, you get news that totally rocks the foundation of the sport or a program or a conference. So I'm not speculating about what could unfold over the next week or even 48 hours in the Big Ten. Who in the world knows? Most of the head coaches up there have been in the dark. So how would I be any wiser to the process than they would? But from people who do understand the legal side of things, they keep telling us the same thing. They keep saying, it may not happen as quick as you want it to, but watch that process with those lawsuits and how many of them are filed and how hard the Big Ten fights against it. And then ask yourself, with so little being demanded, why are they fighting so hard to protect that information? Your guess is as good as mine.
We got a really good viewership tonight. Remember, we are going to three nights per week starting this week. So in 48 hours, we'll be right back on the air live. We also have a lot of content coming that we can't fit into the shows. And Late Kick's not all we even do on this channel. We do Barton and Bud. We do a ton of recruiting. So subscribe. It is free of charge. Subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. And please subscribe to the Late Kick podcast, too, because there are multiple products in that feed per week that will not appear on the YouTube channel. It's this crazy little scheme to get you to subscribe to both. They're both free, though, so it shouldn't matter. Uh, We really appreciate you watching tonight. It is a very busy week for us. We're very excited because college football is coming, whether some people like it or not. So for Director Colin, for Jordan and Tanya on the podcast side of things, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much. Really excited. College football is back, and we're excited to be here all season long. Have a great week, and God bless. Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. 